Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts live on the air today. This is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible or if there's anything going on in your life that you have questions about or that you'd like prayer for, we'd love to talk with you and pray for you, hopefully answer some of those questions and the like. So please give us a call. The number to call is 303-690-3000. It's 303-690-3000. Here at the front end of the show is always a really good time to get on because we usually start the show without any callers. So these first few minutes are a time when we kind of wait for you to call in, and we would love to hear from you again with your Bible questions or your prayer requests, or if there's something going on in your life that you'd like to talk about. We'd love to talk with you and pray for you and hopefully answer those questions. So give us a call once again, the number 303-690-3000, or text us at 720-336-0897. Once again, 720 Nine, seven. We want to welcome all of you who are listening in Colorado and up in the Cheyenne, Wyoming area on Grace FM, broadcasting all the way from Cheyenne all the way down to Colorado Springs and into parts of Pueblo. So we are so glad that if you are tuning in today, you're hearing the show live. We'd love to hear from you. We also want to welcome those of you listening on the East Coast. We are blessed and excited to be syndicated on Hope FM in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Maryland. We have so many of you who call in and who listen every week on Hope FM. We're so glad to have you as part of the part of the uh, Calvary Live family. So do give us a call too. But just a reminder that those of you listening on Hope FM, you are hearing the show on a one-week delay, which is not a problem at all for you guys to call in, and it gives you the added opportunity that you get to tune in a week later and you get to hear yourself um, but as far as the conversation that's going on in the air, just keep in mind that you're hearing the show on a one-week delay. We are also syndicated on Truth FM in, to, in Tennessee and up into parts of North Carolina and Kentucky, and we would love to hear from you. Uh, we've gotten some calls from Truth FM, but definitely less than from some of the other stations we're syndicated on, so we would love to hear from you. If you're listening on Truth FM in Tennessee, give us a call. And just a reminder that you also are hearing the show on a one-week delay. But again, we would love to hear from you. We also want to welcome you who are listening online. We know there's so many of you who tune in via the app and the website. If you don't have the app yet, definitely go get it. It's uh, really easy. You just go into your app store on your mobile device or on your tablet or your phone and just type in Grace FM and it'll come right up and you download that onto your device and then you can listen wherever you are in the world. Uh, through that app, and you can connect with us on there and listen to the shows live, including this one, but also all the other great shows on Grace FM. And you can listen to us on our website, gracefm.com, if you're in front of your laptop or desktop computer, or if you're even if you're on your tablet, and you can just uh, click the Listen Live button, and you can tune in right there, wherever you are in the world. I was actually just in California this past weekend. I'll tell you more about that in a few minutes, but 
I was in California this past weekend, and I met somebody named Joe. Joe, if you are listening in, just a hi to you up there in San Juan Islands in um, Washington State. So way up in the corner of our country. And Joe told me that he listens to Grace FM all the time. And so, Joe, if you're listening or anybody else listening up in Washington State, awesome to have you be tuning in. And uh, like last week, we got a call from somebody in Arizona. We've gotten calls from California and Florida, people way outside of our broadcast range, over the air broadcast range. But that's because so many of you are tuning in via the app and the website. We're so glad that God has uh, enabled us to have that technology so that we can reach as many people as possible. So definitely also spread the word. Because we're so uh, readily available through the app and the website, you know, let anybody you know anywhere uh, out there about, uh, let them know about Grace FM and about this show in particular where they can call in or even text us and we will answer those prayer requests and questions live on the air. So however you've tuned in today, we're so glad you're with us and we'd love to hear from you. Calls are starting to come in, but let me give you that number one more time, 303-690-3000, 303-690-3000, or text us at 720-336-0897. And uh, before we go to our first caller, I just want to tell you a little bit about myself. My name is Nick Cady. I am your host every Monday here on Calvary Live. And I'm a pastor of Whitefields Community Church, which is a church in Longmont, Colorado. And we are in downtown Longmont. So if you are in the Longmont, Colorado area, we'd love it if you would connect with us. Our website is whitefieldschurch.com. That's whitefieldschurch.com. Or let's say maybe you don't live in Longmont, but you know somebody who lives in this area. We would love it if you would help them connect with us. Send them our way. Our church meets on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. in the St. Vrain Memorial Building which is a really central building in downtown Longmont. So we're right in the heart of the city. We're at Longs Peak Avenue and Kaufman Street. So Longs Peak and Kaufman, right on the northwest corner of Longs Peak and Kaufman in the St. Vrain Memorial Building, which is 700 Longs Peak Avenue. And we're right on the edge of Roosevelt Park, which is the city park here in Longmont. And actually from the grassy area out in front of our church's building is where all the... um, parades and festivals in Longmont start and so it's a really really central location lots of people in town know it and you know great accessibility and parking and all that so we'd love to have you join us Um, again our website you can get directions you can find information you can listen to um, some of our past sermons on there as well that website is whitefieldschurch.com so whitefieldschurch.com and you can hear me on Grace FM every weekday at 2 30 p.m. And Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. So 2.30 p.m. every weekday and Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We have a show called Life in the Field, which is an allusion to how we live our lives on God's mission field. So let's go to our first caller, Bonnie, on line two. Hi, Bonnie. Welcome to the program. Hi. Um, I had a prayer request for me and my husband. Okay. Um, We... We both lost, I lost my job about a year ago, and I've been trying to find a job ever since. But my husband was laid off on February 1st of this year. Can you just pray that we get a job and um, pray that we don't become homeless? Yeah, absolutely. Heavenly Father, I pray for Bonnie, and I pray for her husband. And Lord, I pray that they would get jobs before their unemployment benefits run out. Lord, I pray that you would open doors for them. And maybe this is even an opportunity where they have to take a job, which is something that they're not super excited about. 
But Lord, I know that even through that, you can teach them a lot. And so, Lord, I pray that Bonnie and her husband, they would be dependent on you, they would be humble before you, and they would be open to whatever you bring in their path. Lord, I do pray that you would provide for them. Uh, Lord, I pray, uh, I think of the Apostle Paul who says, uh, I, you know, thinking of all the other apostles, he said, I labor more diligently than anyone else, and yet not I, but the grace of God that is within me. And I pray that same thing would be true of Bonnie and her husband, that they would labor more diligently than anyone else, and yet not in their own strength, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that, Lord, as they do that, you would open up doors before them. And, Lord, that they would not end up on the street. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, Bonnie. Thank you for calling in. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or text us, 720-336-0897. Let's go to our next caller, Leslie in Denver, Colorado. Hi, Leslie. Welcome to the program. Hi, thank you. Um, I just was calling kind of for your perspective on the book of Job. Um, I've read it completely three times now. Um, The first time I read it, I was suffering from postpartum depression, and I read it using the Blue Letter Bible and uh, David Guzik's commentary and went through it like kind of with a fine-tooth comb. And um, I found it to be very helpful for me during that time. And then the second time I read it, I um, read it when I was reading through the Old Testament in a year. And then I recently just finished it with a group of girlfriends um, doing like a, it's called a She Reads Truth, just kind of Bible devotional prior to Easter. And um, it's interesting because I feel like this, for the, the, this third time that I read it, I felt completely different about the book. Um, This time I felt like God's, response to um, Job, I felt was, like, underwhelming. Like, I felt like I, I wanted him to say something different to Job, and he he basically talked about his majesty and his righteousness, which was awesome, but mm-hmm. I wanted him to address Job's suffering more. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I finished the book this time, and this is so weird because I didn't think that at all the first time, the first two times that I read it, and... Um, I know that Job is restored in the end of the book, but I this time I just feel differently, and I and I and so I'm I'm interested in hearing kind of what what you think about the book. Yeah, so I'll just give you some thoughts, and then maybe you know if I don't address something specifically, please let me know, and I'll hope to, hopefully I can fill that in at the end. So, so the first thing that's noteworthy about Job is that Job is probably the first book that was written chronologically right and so before um the book of genesis you know job probably predates that and there are a couple reasons why that's believed but i don't think i need to get into those details right now the the interesting thing about it being the first book written is that it deals with what we would call you know in technical terms we call it theodicy and theodicy means giving a defense of God, but that's kind of sounds bad when you put it that way. It's really, it is to answer the question, why do bad things happen? Not just to good people, but why do bad things happen in general? And if I was going to sum up the book, I would sum it up this way. So um, first of all, we see in the beginning that God is in control. 
and that God is using this in Job's life, not to destroy Job, but to bring glory to his name, and also, but also to show off Job's uh, faith and Job's strength in him. And so that's kind of the first thing. The second thing we see is that Job, you know, has a good response in the fact that he never curses God because there's a lot of things that Job doesn't know. And so Job kind of says, well, I don't know why this is happening, but I'm going to trust in God's character so he doesn't curse God. And that's held up in the book as being something to Job's uh, commendation, right? So he's praised for that. And then really it gets into the big message of the book, starting like in chapter, well, already in chapter two a little bit, but then going on for a while after chapter two, where it says, uh, you know, the big thing is that it's addressing kind of head on one of the things, like the main key argument that people use, or at least tend to think about suffering, which is if bad things happen to you, it's because you somehow deserved them and God is punishing you and that basically bad things happen to bad people and good things happen to good people. In fact, that's what Job's friends say to him is, you know, Job, you must have some skeletons in the closet because everybody knows how it works. Bad things happen to bad people and good things happen to good people. And so if these bad things are happening, it must be some form of karma. And uh, Job says, well, that can't be the case because I'm an exceedingly good person, right? Uh, and in the end, it turns out that both of them are wrong. And God says, well, Job, you're still, even by, you know, talking about how good you are and how you don't deserve this, even though you're not, you know, cursing me and turning against me, you're still functioning in that same paradigm, which says, I don't deserve this. I deserve better than this. I don't know the answer, so I just won't come to any conclusion. He says, even you're basically still functioning in the same paradigm as your friends. Um, and he says that that's just simply not how it works. It isn't that karma idea that good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. Rather, it's that God is sovereign and God chooses to do things. And I think this is another big point of the book of Job is that God doesn't have to uh, disclose to us everything that he, the reason why he does everything that he does. And it's that idea that, uh, you know, there's preeminence with him and he is God in heaven. You know, Psalm 84, that God is in heaven and he does whatever he wants. And yet we trust that he's good. And so in the end, I think that Job's restoration is really an aside from the main thrust of the book. I don't think it it is the uh, point of the book. I think the real conclusion of the book happens during God's talk with Job, where he says, Job, there are a lot of things that you don't understand. But he's essentially inviting Job in to think about his character and who he is, right? Saying, you know, I am the one who created everything. I'm the one who's mm -hmm. provided you with good things. And he's inviting Job to trust in him. And what's so interesting is that Job actually finds a lot of solace in this. And Job mm -hmm. essentially comes to, comes to accept that and find peace in it. And it's only, it's after that, that Job's things are all restored. Um, but even if Job's things hadn't been restored, it seems that Job has found peace with what God told him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense to me. It, it probably is the difference between me using when I read it and reading it completely on my own this time. Mm. Um, but I feel like that's what I took away from it. And when I was dealing 
with really severe insomnia that I thought would never end, I felt like I got the same sort of peace from the book and understanding from the book that Job did. Mm-hmm. Um, and this time I felt like I wanted God to say to Job, you are righteous and you didn't deserve this. And this is what was happening. And he didn't. And then I felt like, oh gosh, like now I don't know how I <laughs> feel about how, how God responded. Right. Um, but the way that you explain it certainly makes sense. And, sure. and Leslie, I, I think that's actually part of it, is that there's a sense in which, and I, what I love about the book of Job is that it it actually does exactly what you're saying. So what, even what you're, you're saying is a frustration is I think one of the things which makes me, I mean, this sounds weird to say this, but makes me respect the book more because mm-hmm. it doesn't give you, it doesn't tie everything up nicely. And here's here's right. why that matches reality is because sometimes things are going to happen to you and God's not going to tell you why he did it. Like, I, I have a friend who preached a message on Job, and this message he preached 15 years ago, right? Like, I was, I was uh, 20 years old when I heard this message, and I've never forgotten it. And the reason why is because my friend's wife died in a car accident. He was driving the car, and uh, he was scheduled to preach at this conference like a month later. And instead of canceling his engagement, he actually just kind of, went up there and talked about his struggles. And he talked about it through the lens of Job. And he said, you know, I asked God, why did you, why did you let that happen? And mm-hmm. he hasn't given me an answer. And the question is, if God never answers my question, will I be okay with that? Um, w- you know, if he doesn't tell me what was going on in the background and all that stuff in the spiritual realm. Right, that we we get to see an insight into that in chapter one, but Job didn't, and and never yeah. did until he got to heaven, and he's like, oh dang, so that's what was going on, right? And one of the most comforting verses to me, in when it comes to the issue of theodicy and and bad things happening, is in Revelation, where it says that these people are around the throne of God, and they say this phrase, they say, righteous and true, are all your judgments, O God. And that gives me so much solace and comfort because what it tells me is that these people, once they get to heaven and they get God's perspective on things, all the things that happened on earth, right? Like whether it was the Holocaust or, you know, my grandfather dying the way he did or whatever it might be, that doesn't make sense to me. And I say, God, why? Uh, And I don't get an answer. Um, That once they get that perspective in heaven, like Job would have got when he finally got to heaven, um, then they say, wow, okay, righteous and true are all your judgments of God. Now that I see it from your perspective, I, I get it. Yeah, I get that too. How do you explain, um, my husband is not a born-again Christian, but has been making leaps and bounds toward God, towards God, and then in the last nine months I feel like he's had a little bit of hardening, and it's been because he sees... Um, like suicidal kids in Colorado and like bad things happening and he just keeps bringing up um like why would if God has the opportunity to intervene why won't he and if he's a good god why why isn't he and i and i chalk it up to faith and i don't always understand things but i i have faith in god and and honestly if i didn't have the hope in Jesus Christ what would i have in this world but like how do i because I feel like that's causing him to separate himself 
from God. So how do I explain that to him? Yeah, so what he's um, describing yeah. is not something new, right? Like this is something mm-hmm. that people have thought about for a very long time. And it right. actually has a name. He probably doesn't know this, but what he's thinking about has a name. It's called the trilemma. Okay, so you know what a dilemma is. It's two kind of opposing yep. ideas. Well, a trilemma is three ideas. And the idea behind the trilemma of theodicy, to give it a technical name, is this, that there are three things that people say cannot exist together at the same time. And here's what they are. God is all powerful. God is all loving and evil exists. And they say, Mm -hmm. well, only two of those things can be true at the same time, but not all three. So if God is all loving and evil exists, then that must mean that God is not all powerful. In other words, he wishes he could do something, but he can't. If God uh, is all powerful and evil exists in the world, then God must not be all loving because the assumption goes, if God was all loving, then he would stop those things from happening. And that, mm-hmm. that's, that tends to be the one right there that people tend to argue the most in our Western society. It sounds like maybe even your husband, that's his issue. If yeah. God is all powerful and evil exists, then God can't be all loving. And then the third one goes, uh, which of course doesn't really work, but it's that if God is all loving and God is all powerful, therefore evil cannot exist, but it clearly does. Okay, yeah. so... Uh, the point here is really this. The problem with the trilemma is that it assumes that God only has two characteristics or attributes, right? So God is loving and God is all-powerful, but is that all God is? Or does he not have more attributes than just two? And the answer is, of course he has more attributes than two. So to, to use that trilemma is really to build what we might call a well, I'll just say it this way. It's it's not a good argument because you're saying God has two characteristics, period. Well, clearly God has more characteristics than that. So, for example, God has the characteristic that he is all-knowing. Furthermore, he has a characteristic that he is all places at all times, right? And so if God is all-knowing, let's add that to the thing. Then it, we have a quadrilemma. But at the the point is that the quadrilemma kind of solves the lemma out of the whole trilemma, right? So it's like, if God is all-powerful, if God is all-loving, and there's evil, but then we add another one, that God is all-knowing, and uh, that God is everywhere at all times, including in history. So if we look at it that way, well, then we can say, okay, so it is possible that an all-knowing, all-loving, all-powerful God could even use bad things for good purposes. He could even allow them for bigger purposes than what I realize. So that's uh-huh. that, that would be my main uh, argument towards that line. The other thing is this, that we live in a broken world. The Bible does not dispute that. In fact, here's what it would say, is that bad things are so bad that God himself came to this world and died in order to put an end to them. That is how much God himself is brokenhearted over the same things which your husband is brokenhearted over. And and what that means is this, that the reason there are bad things in the world is essentially because we have, we have rebelled against God. It's the problem of sin. And God allowed that. And you could go into why God allowed that. In my opinion, the reason God allowed it was so that he could do a work of redemption in us. And, uh, and I could go into that more, but I'll just suffice to say this. 
the, the last thing I would say to him is this. If you believe that those things are bad, if you believe, if you believe that there should be justice in the world, uh, the only way that there will ever be justice, truly, is if you embrace the gospel. Because if there, there must be a God in the end. Let's say this. If everything just happens by chance and there is no God, then there will never be justice. There will never be, yeah, justice for tragedy. There will never be justice for uh, crimes. Even the small amount of justice that's dispensed here on earth towards criminals um, would be, you know, nothing. Compa you know, if you take a life and then you spend lifetime in jail, that's not the same. You can't get that life back. That's not true justice. Uh -huh. So the point is, in order for there to be a world of justice, there, there must be a God. And, and this, that let's say your husband does reject God, and then guess what? Is that going to solve kids committing suicide? Is that going to solve all the problems in the world? Not at all. Those problems are still going to exist, and you're going to have no ex explanation for justice or anything. So it's, it's yeah. almost like uh, it's not even a... It, the argument kind of falls apart on itself. Anyway, yeah. I would communicate that kindly to your husband. I, I don't mean to come off sounding rude or anything. So. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's, that's helpful. Thank you. Yeah. Do you mind saying a quick prayer for him? Yeah, absolutely. Let's pray for okay. him. Thank Heavenly you. Father, I pray for Leslie and I pray for her husband. I, I pray that as he struggles with these very real issues that people throughout history, even faithful people, have struggled with and questioned, Lord, that you would help him to see very clearly uh, that he needs uh, a God of justice. He needs a God of love. He needs a God who cares so much about the same things that burden his heart, Lord, that you were willing to come to this earth and die to put an end to those things once and for all. And Lord, we do look forward to that day with great expectation when all things will be the way they were meant to be. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. You bet. God bless you. Have a good day. Bye. You too. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado taking your calls and texts on the air today. The number to call is 303-690-3000. 303-690-3000. Or text us at 720-336-0897. We are coming up on our mid-show break in about one and a half minutes. But let's go ahead and go to our next caller, and maybe we'll have to go through the break for this one. But let's go to Ryan in Westminster, Colorado. Hi, Ryan. Welcome to the program. Hi, how's it going? It's going great. What's up? So I was wondering about the only sin that is unforgivable. Okay. Uh, I believe it's blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Okay. So got a couple questions on here, a few maybe. Um, I guess first would be, um, like, how does a person do that? Mm -hmm. um, and then... Also, why is it unforgivable, and what happens to someone who does commit that sin? Yeah, great questions. Uh, just a heads up that we're going to go in like one minute to our break. So yeah, if, you're, if you're able to hang on through the break, I'll, I'll continue the conversation with you on the other end. If you're not, then I'll just kind of continue the conversation with you off the air. But I'll just okay. in, intro this answer by saying I remember as a new Christian— or maybe it was even before I was really dedicated in my life to the Lord, right? That I, I knew about this, like that this was a thing, that there was this unforgivable sin. 
and I was super nervous that I would do it. And then it's like one of those things where if you think about something long enough, then then it, you begin to like have these weird thoughts and obsess over it. It'd be like kind of like, don't think about a purple elephant. Don't think about a purple elephant. And yeah. the whole time you can't do anything but think about a purple elephant, right? So it'd be uh -huh. like, don't blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Don't blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And then I'd like have a weird thought and be like, oh, dang, I think I did it. And now if I did it, does that mean like I need to give up on Christianity? And because I'm going to hell, so I might as well. <laughs> just take up smoking and drugs, right? Like, okay, so I'm going to answer that question on the other end of the break, but just a heads up that that's not how it works. And then uh, I'll uh, continue. Hopefully you can stick with me. You're listening to Calvary Live. We've come to our mid-show break. We'll be back in two minutes' time. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome back to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts live on the air today. Um, before we go back to our caller, who is asking about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, let me just take the opportunity to invite you. If you are in Longmont or in the surrounding area, or if you know people who live in Longmont, we would love it if you would connect with us at the church I pastor. So I'd like to personally invite you to come and worship with us on a Sunday morning at Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, the church that I pastor. You can find out more information about us online at whitefieldschurch.com. And let me specifically invite you to our Easter services. So coming up on Easter, we're going to have two services at 8.45 and 10.30 respectively. And we would love for you to join us. Uh, we also have a big outreach going on on Saturday in Longmont, April 20th. So this Saturday right before Easter. And we usually have around 2,000 people who come out for this. We do a big Easter festival. So we do a puppet show that, that shares the gospel. We do bracelets and face painting and um, we have bouncy slides and we have uh, Grace FM is going to have a booth there to kind of hand out swag and all kinds of good stuff for free. We'll have a big Easter egg hunt for the kids. And so if you uh, know someone who lives in Longmont or you would uh, like to bring your kids out for that, we'd love to have you. It's um, from 10 to 1130 on April 20th, which is Saturday, the Saturday before Easter in Roosevelt Park in Longmont, downtown Longmont. And then join us the next day, Easter Sunday, for Easter service at 8.45 or 10.30 a.m. as we celebrate the blessed hope that we have in because of the resurrection of Jesus that we can have new and everlasting life. All right, let's go back to Ryan on line two in Westminster, and let's talk about the unforgivable sin. Ryan, you still there? Yeah. All right, thanks for holding. Hey, so here's, here's really what it comes down to. This is mentioned twice in the Gospels, just for our readers, Mark chapter 3 and Matthew chapter 12. And in both cases, Jesus said these words after he had performed a miracle where a demon-possessed man was brought to him and Jesus cast out the demon, but the people attributed Jesus' work, which he did by the Holy Spirit, they attributed it to him doing that work by the power of Beelzebub or the devil. And uh, Jesus said, you know, really, there's every sin will be forgiven people. 
except for one, which is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean? Well, we have to create what we would call a biblical theology or a canonical theology, which means this, that we take the entire Bible and see, not just, not just draw a conclusion based on this one verse, but we want to take the whole Bible, understanding the whole thing to be inspired by God and uh, profitable, right, for doctrine and for uh, all these things. And we take the whole Bible into account. So taking the whole Bible into account, what would it mean to blaspheme the Holy Spirit? Well, the Gospel of John tells us, in John chapter 14 and John chapter 16 specifically, about the work of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, you know, I have been with you. Soon uh, my spirit has been with you. And soon my spirit will be in you. And he said, here's the work of the Spirit in the world, in this with relationship. Because remember, the Holy Spirit has three relationships with three different groups of people. I'll run you through those because they are relevant to the conversation. So, first of all, there's a with relationship, there's an in relationship, and there's an upon relationship. So, with, it says, Jesus says there in John, I believe it's 14, but it might be 16, because those two chapters talk about the work of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is with all people, convicting them of three things, sin, righteousness, and judgment. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. What that means is that the Holy Spirit is at work in the world, even amongst people who have who have never... Uh, heard the gospel, or, you know, your coworker who is resistant against the gospel, or your family member who just, you know, is kind of blasé and doesn't care. The Holy Spirit is at work in that person's life. Um, and in a sense, you know, we might say whispering in their ear, the ear of their heart and their mind, that they have sinned, that there's a judgment coming, and that they need a, a savior. So sin, uh, judgment, and salvation. And so, um, that's the with relationship. The Holy Spirit is with all people doing those things. Then the Holy Spirit is in those who are believers. right? So Jesus said, the Holy Spirit is with you, will be in you. And then after he raises from the dead, he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. And they do. And then the upon relationship is that he comes upon people to help them accomplish or anoint them to accomplish some sort of task or role or ministry. And so you could break the three groups of people into everybody, then believers, right? Believers are the only ones who have the Holy Spirit in them. And we say all believers have the Holy Spirit in them. And then we would say beyond that, some believers have the Holy Spirit upon them to anoint them for a particular ministry or task. So what that means is this. The Holy Spirit is with all people. And to blaspheme, you might say, would be kind of an irreverent, uh, rejection. We, I guess that would be how I would summarize that word. Some sort of uh, defiant irreverence. And so we would say this, that the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, based on all these things together, and then we consider what all this says, we take it into context then, and apply it to the context there of Matthew 13 and, uh, sorry, Matthew 12 and Mark 3. And we, we come to this conclusion. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is when you resist or reject the work of the Holy Spirit to draw you to repentance and faith, you reject that for long enough or uh, persistently enough that you have, um, you have not done that. You have not done what the Holy Spirit is you know, inspiring. You're trying to get you to do. I think inspiring is probably the wrong word here, but let's say that the thing that the Holy Spirit is trying to draw you to do, you keep rejecting that. And that point when you have done that uh, to the point of 
blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which can no longer be forgiven, might be at the point of your death. It might be uh, sometime before that when God says, I will no longer strive with you. And, you know, like with Pharaoh, I will uh, ratify your decision. So does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, um, is there a reason specifically why it's unforgivable? Well, let's say let's put it this way: if you if the job of the Holy Spirit is to draw you to receive the forgiveness that Jesus is offering you, and you uh -huh. reject that, there's no other way for you to be forgiven, right? And let's put it this way: if you reject what Jesus has done for you as the means for forgiveness, which is the job of the Holy Spirit to draw you to that, then uh -huh. there's no other way for you to be forgiven. You can't be forgiven by being good enough, by giving alms, by you know, following seven sacraments or rules by following five pillars there is no other way to receive forgiveness uh, other than through jesus and uh, that's by the power of the holy spirit yes. okay well, that definitely makes a little bit more sense now good i hope so so don't worry that you're going to do it on accident that would be the other thing <laughs> I tell you. it's not something you can do on accident it's a, a, something that if you do it it's very much willful Okay, I gotcha. I was, I was kind of more thinking like, I mean, in my past, I've, I haven't always been a follower. Of, you know, I haven't always believed, and I, I, my tongue has always been gotten the better of me, and I'm sure I have said some really messed up stuff. But now that I've come to Christ, I, like, I think back on it, and I'm like, man, I really hope I didn't do that. Yeah, and it, it just kind of been in my mind for festering for a while and i've been meaning to call in so yeah well connor i would tell you this the fact that you care shows me that you uh that the holy spirit is working in you and hasn't given up on you and that that you um let's put it this way if you if if you had committed the blasphemy of the holy spirit i believe that you would not care i believe you wouldn't be asking these kinds of questions the fact that you have a soft and sensitive heart is proof of the holy spirit's work in you and um, I would just confess those things from the past, which hopefully, you know, you've already done. But uh, just rejoice in the fact that you are forgiven. And, and the, again, the fact that you care, that's always a great litmus test, right? The fact that you care uh, says a lot about the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Okay. Cool. Well, thank you very much, Pastor Nick. I really appreciate that. You bet. And God bless you. Yeah, you bye too, bye. man. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air. We have now one open line. The number to call is 303-690-3000. Let's go to Connor in Denver, Colorado. Hi, Connor. Welcome to the program. Hi, Nick. Thanks for having me. Yeah, what's up? Uh, so I have a question about <clears throat> faith and, and how to approach the Bible as a new Christian. Um. You know, I'm young, I'm, I'm 26 years old, and um, just taking a look at kind of the societal and um, the landscape we're in and, and where we've been at um, over the past, you know, 20 years or so, and the way I was raised, um, becoming a Christian at this point in my life, even though I grew up in the Church a little bit, I kind of lean more into atheism or agnosticism for, for quite a bit of few years. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, something called me back to this, um, to this path and, 
you know, it's something I can't deny. And um, I'm just having trouble um, laying aside some of my prejudice and criticism um, yeah. to, to try to just open up to get into the Word, um, kind of having trouble figuring out where to start. Um, you know, I feel a bit of a disconnect between a lot of the churches I go to um, because of that criticism, and I seem to want to approach it more intellectually um, theologically than, um, you know, through the heart. Yeah. Um, and those don't really match up for me, although I'm working on it, and I, and I would like them too. I think I, I do seem to want more of an intellectual, deeper understanding of the Word to kind of verify what I'm feeling. Yeah. Um, and I have trouble with people that seem to just gl- uh, gloss over it. Um, so I'm just kind of asking about your advice, and, and uh, if you have any for me, kind of how to approach this, this path and, and maybe some tips or, or some things I can look out for internally or externally as I'm kind of going down this road and pursuing this. Yeah, I know, Connor. That's awesome, man. I think you're uh, asking the right questions, and I'm really glad to hear that God's working in your life. So I think that the fact that you want to approach your faith intellectually is a really good thing. And I know that some people, you know, would uh, would not say that. Uh, some people would, um, you know, some people have been anti-intellectual or kind of critical of that, saying that, I even heard people say ridiculous things like that God offends the mind to re- reveal the heart. And, you know, they use that kind of as a carte blanche to say that they can... Um, you know, basically say whatever they want or, you know, and, and if something totally doesn't make any sense, well, then you should just accept it anyway. Uh, I think that that's not true because here's the deal. We're, if we're dealing with what's true, then we should in- be able to engage with it intellectually. But, and, and I'll just tell you a little bit of my story. You know, Connor, I, um, I became a pastor. I got saved when I was 16 and gave my life to the Lord and, and began this walk of faith. Um, and then I, um, I became a missionary uh, and a pastor pretty young in life. Uh, I was pastoring by the time I was 21, and um, and it was when I when I started pastoring. Here, funny story. I was telling somebody this the other day that there was a guy when I was 18 who wanted to kind of work with me and disciple me. And so our first meeting, we sit down and he asked me a question. He goes, "So, do you have any questions about God or Christianity?" And I said, "No, like." I don't have any questions. Like, I feel pretty confident that I got it sorted out, right? So anyway, uh, a couple of years later, of course, starting to pastor a church and dealing with more adult issues, uh, I realized that I had a ton of questions about God and faith, right, in the Bible. And I, I was pastoring for over a year at that point, and I realized I need to go to school. Because I had ne- I'd been mentored and kind of discipled into that p- pastoral role. And I think they did a pretty good job, you know. I, I, I'm, I'm not criticizing that at all. I'm just saying that I realized that I needed, um, you know, I felt like I knew what to say uh, to all these different questions, but I didn't know, the re- I didn't really have the background knowledge. I knew the answer, you know, the right answer to say, but I didn't have the background knowledge. It'd be kind of like when you go to Disneyland and they have a facade of Main Street, but you know that behind that facade, there's really no substance. And I felt that that's what, what I was like as a 
believer and as a pastor and everything is that, yeah, I had the facade. I knew all the right answers. I knew, uh, but I didn't really know the background as to why those were the right answers. And I didn't have that depth of knowledge. And so I went to school and I got a BA in Christian theology. And then I, uh, I'm now finishing my master's in integrated theology. And so I'm a big uh, proponent of engaging faith intellectually. It has, for me, really um, strengthened my conviction and my faith. And, um, you know, I think sometimes people speak about that disparagingly, and I, I think that that's not good. I think that the disciples were unlearned men, right? It says that in the Bible. They were unlearned men who had been with Jesus. And guess what? You can also be a learned man who has been with Jesus, and that is great. And you can engage with whole new circles if you have been. So I would just encourage you that, I would encourage you in this. Uh, you know, the great commandment is this, love the Lord your God, right? The Shema, right? And love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so I would encourage you, Connor, to do all those things. So I want you to engage God with your whole mind, but also with your strength, meaning I want you to use, you know, your gifts and abilities, even your physical strength to serve the Lord and express love for him. Um, but also, you know, with your soul, right? You know, worship him. But I, I want you to also remember that in that is your heart. And so I do want you to engage with God in your heart fully. So it should be, it's yeah. not a this or that. It, it, it can be right. like you're more inclined in one way. And I think that that's good. And I want to encourage you to do that. Engage God intellectually. Uh, because there are a lot of, there's a lot of people doing a lot of really good intellectual work in the area of Christianity. But at the same time, I would tell you this, the more you engage God intellectually, if you do it right and with the right attitude, it will engage your heart and it will cause you to worship him all the more. So let me give right. you a few recommendations. I think okay. one of the guys who has done this so well is Timothy Keller. And he, what he has done so well is that he engages people intellectually. He's, he was ministering in New York City in Manhattan for many years. And, you know, he ha you have to in a place like that. And so he, um, he was engaging people on that intellectual level. And it's just a joy to listen to. Um, and I've talked to more intellectual people, you know, who, who really get so much out of him. And I think what Keller's ministry also shows us is that there are a lot of people out there who want to engage God intellectually. And there, there has been maybe a pendulum swing away from intellectualism towards uh, what we might call more you know, emotional or devotional uh, ways of approaching God. And I think that uh, Tim Keller's ministry shows us that that pendulum swing has maybe left some people behind. And so yeah. I, I would encourage you, Timothy Keller, read everything he's written. Listen to his podcast. He has a great podcast. Not all of his messages are available for free, but I'm sure his podcast will keep you busy for, uh, you know, several months. And so listen to his podcast, read his books. He has some great books, especially... Um, let me look at two of them real quick. I, I've read basically everything he's written, but uh, there are two that might uh, be particularly good for you. Um, one of them is The Reason for God. I'm sorry. Yeah, it is The Reason for God. Yeah, The Reason for God. And the other one is Making Sense of God, which he wrote later but describes as a prequel to The Reason for God. So I would encourage you to start with those two, especially if you you know you really want to engage intellectually. Um, but actually, I would say start with making sense of God before the reason for God. 
Uh, reason for God is more of an apologetic, meaning he's like trying to argue for the fact that God could exist. But it sounds like right. you already believe in that. So I would go and read yeah. in uh, Making Sense of God. <coughs> Excuse right. me. And listen to his podcast because he's absolutely uh, fabulous. So, um, so I would start there. Another guy who's really good that I can recommend is Tim Mackey. Uh, Tim Mackey, he has a great podcast and YouTube channel called um, uh, Exploring Your Strange Bible or S Exploring My Strange Bible, one of those two. Uh, but Tim Mackey is great. And, um, and then in Calvary Chapel Circles, there's a friend who was actually, he was mentioned earlier, David Guzik. He's, uh, you know, his website is EnduringWord.com. And what I love about David is I feel like he is not only intellectual, uh, he also gets the heart but he does it with so much honesty. I mean, that's just the word that comes to my mind when I think about David. And David's actually a good friend. I saw him this past weekend. We did an event together in California, and uh, we talked a lot of theology, and it was a great time. So, Well, thank you so much. Uh, I really appreciate that. And, um, yeah, I, you know, I'm just having a little bit of trouble kind of squeezing into uh, Christian circles, um, you know, with my my heart has been where it's where it's at and i don't deny that um but to try to meet um you know the heart and the mind together with other people um can be a little difficult so we'll keep um, looking but thank you because those circles are out there okay right right okay all right, all right. thank you so much appreciate you it god bless you're listening to calvary live this is pastor nick katie from whitefields community church in longmont colorado taking your calls and texts on the air today We've got two open lines. The number to call is 303-690-3000. It's 303-690-3000. And let's go to Christy in Baltimore, Maryland. Hi, Christy. Welcome to the program. Hi, Pastor Nick. I really, really always enjoy listening to you speak. I always feel like there's love just flowing through you, and I really, that, I love that. Um, I, I, have a, I have a very quick question. I'd like to know... If Mary actually, I understand that the family basically did not believe that Jesus was divine, or maybe not divine, but that he wasn't the Messiah. And I never understood how Mary could not believe that when she actually had him as a virgin. Yeah, so I mean, um, I actually just wrote an article about this on my website, but let me just uh, summarize it for you. Uh, people ask the question, did Mary know that Jesus was the Messiah? My answer is absolutely yes. And... Um, now, you say his family didn't believe that he was the Messiah. Now, um, let, let's just break that down a little bit, because that comes from two verses in which you're absolutely right. They doubted whether he was, and they thought he, they called him crazy. They, um, you know, so they, they did do that. Mm -hmm. And, um, but Mary did know that Jesus was, and not only was it because she was a virgin who got pregnant, but... Um, but very clearly, she had an angel um, appear to her and speak to her about Jesus' identity. In fact, that's the reason why he was given the name he was given, remember? And there was that whole episode with Elizabeth, her cousin, and her husband, Zechariah. And Zechariah exactly. pro prophesies this whole thing about how his son is going to be the one who Malachi promised would be the forerunner of the Messiah. And then Jesus comes and the baby leaps in Elizabeth's a womb and and then Jesus comes and right remember they had to flee into Egypt right because so I uh -huh. mean all of these things absolutely Mary absolutely yeah. knew that Jesus was the Messiah and I believe that Jesus knew as he was growing up that he was the Messiah because you know that's the kind of thing that you tell your kid and guess right. what they, they probably <laughs> mm, 
Yeah, I mean, that's a big question in theological circles is when did Jesus realize that he was the Messiah? And, you know, one of the big answers is, oh, when he was baptized and he saw the dove descend on him from heaven and the voice from heaven. And my answer is, wait a second, did you not, like, forget the fact that Jesus lived as a refugee until he was, like, five years old? And guess what he would ask his parents? Mom, Dad, why are we living in Egypt and not in Israel if we're not from Egypt? And they would say, well, son, because there's a king who wants to kill you. Well, why does he want to kill me? Well, because you're actually the promised king of the Jews, which, you know, Meshiach means anointed one. Anointed in the Jewish mind was a reference to the king. And so, um, yeah, clearly it, it would have explained everything to him. We'll see this angel appeared to us and, you know, all this stuff. So Jesus would have known, his parents would have known, his brothers and sisters, who we read about, like in Matthew 11, they would have known. Now, does that mean that they didn't doubt it? No, it seems that they clearly doubted it. And it seems that even Mary maybe even had her doubts, just as John the Baptist, right, who declared that Jesus was the Messiah. There was a time when he started to have his doubts too. And, and I think uh -huh. that that should encourage us, right, that, that if, if these people had their doubts about something which they should have known, even which they themselves declared, well then, is it normal for us to have doubts? Yes, what we do with our doubts is very important. Um, but having doubts is something that is part of being human. So that's mm -hmm. my answer to you. Does that okay. help? Okay. All right. Yes, it does. Thank you so much. Awesome. Well, thanks for calling in. God bless you. You bet. You right, too. Bye, bye. bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Taking your calls and texts on the air, let's go to one last caller, Sheila in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Hi, Sheila. Welcome to the program. Hi. How are you? Um, well. I had a I had somebody approach me, um, saying, you know, we just we're just here living to die, mm -hmm. and I didn't know how to really react to that. Yeah. Um. And I, I guess person. I guess I guess what I said was, well, you know, we're here to help love one another and help each other through this life. Yeah. And to um get to heaven one day. And and I told him that there is a hell and that he he really doesn't want to go there. <laughs> yeah. Um so I, I really didn't know how to react to that. Yeah, so biblically, the Bible would say this, that our temporal lives here on earth absolutely do matter to God. They're absolutely important. Um, we aren't just living uh, neither to die nor just to bide our time here on earth so we can go to heaven. Uh, we are living for something bigger than this. Uh, which is beyond just uh, going to heaven, which which we, you know, essentially, and I, I don't have time to go into it in detail, but essentially heaven is the continuation of a life lived with God, but it's the fulfillment of a life lived with God. In other words, like John 17, verse 3, Jesus says, you know, this is eternal life, that you um, know God and know the one whom he sent, Jesus. So that relationship of knowing God and knowing Jesus uh, is something which we begin now and then continue on and experience in fulfillment forever. That is what heaven is. 
And, but why live this life? Uh, well, the purpose of this life, the Bible would say, is to do the work and the will of God, and it is to know God and to do the work and will of God. It's basically that. You think about the first people, they were given a job to manage God's good creation. God created us to know him and to do his work and his will. Now, where we have failed to do God's work and his will, that's why we need redemption. That's called sin. And Jesus came and he perfectly fulfilled the work and the will of God on our behalf so that we could be reunited with God, forgiven, and have that continual relationship that we call heaven. So uh, to your friend, I would just tell them this. You were created for a purpose by a God who loves you, and that purpose is to know God and do his work and will in the world. And for that reason, what is imperative for you to do is to put your faith in Jesus because it's only through him that you can be reconciled to God because we, we've all failed to live up to that calling on our lives. And so you need to know Jesus so that you can know God. And then when you come to know God, he gives you a mission and a purpose in your life, which is to do his work and his will, which might be, you know, to do your vocation for his glory, to bless other people. And it might be beyond that. I do believe it is beyond that to spread the gospel into the world so people can believe and be saved. Yeah, I told him, I said, you might not believe it, but I said, the Lord loves you and cares for you. And and he knows every hair on your head. Amen. I, mean, I need to let that, you go, Sheila, because that, that, that music means we're at the end of our show. Is my mind. But thank you for calling and God bless you. You've been listening to Calvary yeah. Live. My name is Pastor Nick Katie, and I will be with you again next Monday. Have a great evening and God bless you. You've been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's word.